Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Welcome to the war. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this awesome day, that it is a day dedicated to you, that your will be done, O God, on earth, in and through us, even as it's being done and declared in heaven. Father, I pray for all of us that are listening to this broadcast today and in the days ahead, that you would encourage our hearts, stir up our pure minds, the mind of Christ, that we will not continue to lag and drag on in our old paradigms and lies that we will begin to have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive the revelation of your love, your truth, that we are bought and paid for, that our debt obligations have been fulfilled, and that we are more than conquerors through you, Jesus, that we have the mind of Christ and that we do not have to live in that place of I don't know and I'm confused. So, Lord God, we pray today to give us wisdom and insight that I would speak clearly, uh, concisely, that the people's hearts will be ready to receive it, We thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. We thank you for that awesome gift, that uh, unselfish gift, the sacrifice of your life, your life blood. And I thank you, Jesus, for giving us the promise that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken against our lives. And there have been many to persecute the righteous, that none of them will succeed in bringing forth any shame, trouble, or reproach, because all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And Lord God, even in the midst of our trials, Lord, we know sometimes that we don't see an end, but you do. And so we trust you to bring us into that place of rich fulfillment. And even though the tests have been severe, there is a purpose. And that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So let us remember that, call that to our minds. And Lord God, I thank you that Jesus is our faithful witness come to testify to the truth. So give us that counsel today as we ask these things now in your precious name. Amen. Hey, welcome. And to those of you who did not get to come to the seminar on Saturday, we're going to do a little recap today on Rescue Radio. Recapping of uncovering the lies. And, um, you know, it's kind of interesting that um, people are, are kind of got a sense of, you know, or curiosity, at least, of what's gone on in their in their past, in their life. Some people think they have a past life because there is a, is a past life, but it wasn't you living it. But it was your generations before you, your relatives and ancestors. And, and so the things that happened back there the, become the skeletons and the secrets in our closet that actually provide a lot of information about uh, the demonic life patterns, the patterns of loss and destruction that we are experiencing in our own personal uh, current life. And so the seminar was looking at buried, what's buried in your family bloodline. And it's very interesting that the, 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 the blood, the bloodline, the blood guiltiness, the bloodline carries a lot of opportunity and situations that the devil can still use to accuse the righteous, um, to present his case before God, to petition for our testing and hopefully for our destruction, although God presides as the righteous judge. And he does permit various things to happen in our lives um, for our testing, as he did with Job, as he did with Abraham and the various other awesome patriarchs and people who went before us. The testing is not for our undoing. It's for our that we might be decorated, if you will, before the high court and before the throne of God, before the um, the, king, the kingdom of heaven when we all get together uh, because we're uh, being tested in God's workmanship in us is what is being tested and the endurance of his love to prevail is what is being tested, although most people do not think of their lives as God being tested or God's faithfulness being tested or God's love for them being tested. But they are being tested to question, we are being tested to question God's love, God's faithfulness, 
Why did God let it happen? Why does he keep letting it happen? Why does he permit it to happen? He knows about it. He could do something about it. He's got all power. This is this is not fair, not fair, not fair, not fair, a million times over, not right. And we hate injustice. We're built by God to hate it. So this becomes a real sensitive area for us. We We want to stand up for righteousness. We want to fix things. We want to make them right. We want to make them fair. And when God himself doesn't seem to be that interested in justice because he just lets all the madness continue, we can get a little, you know, disconcerted and where's God in all this. So, but there is a reason there are, there are, there's a spiritual warfare going on and we need to understand um, the, the, if you, you know, it's, it's like math, it's like mathematics, spiritual mathematics. That's what we'd call this. That in math, you know, that, and most of us probably hated those word problems. You just hated them. You know, you read them and then you have to figure out what they're asking. And then they throw in a few trick things that don't belong in the equation. And then you try to scratch your head and get upset and say, I hate math. You know, that's how you solve the problem. I hate math, throw the book down and yeah, flunk the test, whatever. But anyway, in, in spiritual math, the, the basic premises are the same. You, you must, first of all, set up the problem correctly. And if we're talking about the problem, the dynamics of spiritual warfare, we have to set up the problem correctly in order to get a correct solution. If you don't use the right equation, if you don't plug your, your information into the right spot, if you don't do the, the operations in the right order, you will not get a right answer. You will not get a correct answer. And though in life there are many, it seems like, um, answers and many obvious uh, variables, the situation is basically this, the same, that there is a structure to spiritual warfare. I don't think a lot of people realize that. They think it's kind of a ooh, kind of a hit and miss guess. And, you know, if you're not a Christian, you'll hit the crystal ball or go to the psychic. But there is a specific structure to spiritual warfare. And so let's look at some of those paradigms, some of those um, those elements, factors, um, orders of operation, if you will. First of all, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we are um, set free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. It was done 2,000 years ago. There is a correct answer. There is freedom. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is a mathematical equation. Truth equals freedom. So the opposite of truth is lies. Lies equal opposite of freedom, bondage. So lies equal bondage. And in an equal sign situation, you can read the equation both, way, both ways. So you can say um, truth equals freedom, freedom equals truth, lies equal bondage, bondage equals lies. And a lot of people will come into a counseling session with that known. The bondage is there. Sometimes they have not well defined the bondage. Um, they just are afraid or they're just anxious. They've got the general symptoms of what's going on, but they don't really know deep below that what is the lie. They just know that I'm anxious, I'm upset, I'm confused, I feel worthless, um, I'm addicted, whatever. So that's the bondage. So the question then becomes, well, what is the lie? Well, that's a good question to ask because a lot of people make an assumption, and maybe you've made this assumption, that what you're believing to be true is really true. It isn't. It isn't. If if what you're believing in your life, if the cumulative summary, if the uh, gathered together everything that you believe in your life, creating in your life fear, if it if it reduces down to fear, then it is not of God because perfect love casts out fear. What's going on in your life that's true will reduce down to love and peace and rest. What if what you're doing? It, it doesn't have to be that hard, and you don't have to have a a degree behind your name to reduce your life down to see, well, where's this, where's this heading? Where's this leading me? What's it's leaving me with? Is it fear, anxiety, frustration, anger, bitterness, health issues, a bad relationships, um, breakdowns in communication, or is it bringing me rest, peace, joy, and hope? That's where you start. So if your columns add up to fear, then you are believing Lies. At least somewhere in the list, there are some lies. Maybe not every single thing you believe is a lie. You may believe that Jesus is real, God is real, he rose from the dead, Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, to see the right hand of the Father, and you've confessed that. So there's salvation. You're, you're saved based on that confession, and that may be in your list, but you may have also added on into the list a ton of error and lies 
that create uh, a salvation that is con- working out of and through and experience you're experiencing condemnation that is a possibility as paul indicated in romans 1 uh, 8 1 uh there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit so you see here you can be in christ jesus and be saved with your name written in the lamb's book of life and still be experiencing a lot of confusion and condemnation because you're still operating in the flesh as opposed to the spirit. Now, in the false gospel, a lot of people are told they have to uh, manage the flesh, uh, take uh, authority over the flesh, take responsibility, um, behave, uh, a lot of self-help, self-improvement things. A lot of work is is um, indicated in that process of, well, Jesus has overcome already, and we are in him. So in Christ Jesus, we have technically overcome the world. The faith is the victory that overcomes the world. But if we don't realize we're in Christ Jesus, and if we're still trying to live part of our life in the flesh, which means you know, our body with our mind, will, and emotions trying to figure out what to do to live, to prosper, to make God happy, to figure out the truth, if we're still using our flesh software which we're going to talk about in a minute, um, as opposed to walking in the Spirit, we are going to experience that condemnation. And I believe a lot of Christians are there because, for example, how many of you feel that condemnation every day from the enemy? It's not from the Holy Spirit, and it's not even from you. But you might think it's from you because you've been listening to uh, your thoughts and your self-talk and thinking that you're thinking your own thoughts, but you're not necessarily thinking your own thoughts. A lot of those are from the evil one who's impersonated you to yourself as a first person impersonator who Jesus talked about in Matthew twelve twenty nine and Luke 11, the strong man who comes to divide the house. Well, how does he do that? He sets you up in opposition to yourself, according to uh, King James chapter uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, 5, and 6, sets us up in opposition to ourselves to divide the house, to plunder the house. So he, the devil comes in making you think those thoughts are your thoughts and those feelings are your feelings. And so in your old paradigm, you just embrace them as, yeah, well, this is the truth. This is how I, I am tired. I'm depressed. I'm no good. I'm, I should have. It's my fault. And when you start hearing, I should have, I need to, I've got to, I didn't, it's my fault, you are coming into an agreement with the lies. Jesus said there is no condemnation. Okay, that's done. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. What Satan is now doing in the life of a believer is completely illegal. That's why I wrote the book called Taking the Devil to Court. And if you want to get a good read on that, you need to get the revised edition of Taking the Devil to Court. It is available um, on Amazon as a, as a um, Kindle type of book for your iPad, but it's also available in hard copy from liferecovery.com. This, so taking the devil to court is the, not only the um, uh, privilege, but it is the uh, mandate of the believer because our enemy is not, be, it's not flesh and blood, it's not your neighbor, it's not your brother, it's not your boss, it's not your wife, it's not your husband. Your enemy is the devil, who walks around as a roaring lion, seek, lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, in every book of the New Testament, except possibly two, one of those being Philemon, which is a tiny little letter to, you know, Philemon and oh, whatever his name is, his master. So it talks about, it gives reference to the battle in spiritual warfare terms. Jesus even talked about it in Matthew. Oh, he talked about the devil, dealt with the devil, talked directly to him, talked about him, talked about heaven, hell, all the time, everything. I mean, it's all about spiritual warfare. And he called him the snatcher in uh, Matthew uh, chapter um, 13, when he's talking about the 19, 13, 19, where he talks about him as the one who comes to snatch the word from our hearts if we do not understand it. And that's a critical phrase, do not understand. We don't understand the warfare. We don't understand the paradigm. We're still half in and half out of our old paradigms of the God of this, that the God of this world has given us to use, which is bogus garbage. But going back to the mathematical equations, first of all, we have to realize that everything is not as it appears. Nothing is as it appears. Nothing is 
as it appears to be. And, and, you know, we go on appearances all the time. We just think it's all about what I can see, what I feel, what, what people are telling me. It's not, nothing is as it's been reported or recorded to be. Our history is bogus and lies. The reports on the news, the current events are bogus, lies, contrived, all of it manipulated by the evil one, the God of this world, to, to either produce in the masses some sort of a reaction or guide and, and, and control them to make certain choices or de- determine their course. I have nothing to do with the God of this world when it comes to getting my information. I do not go there. I do not seek it from him or his sources. So, and you, you have to know that everything, even our history, everything's been hidden, uh, rewritten to fit the devil's worldview, basically, bottom line. That's premise number one. Um, so we must go back to the only source of real truth and rightly divide it because the source of real truth, if you look at the history, by the way, I recommend highly um, uh, a documentary by Chris Pinto out there. It's called A Light in the Darkness, and it's about the hidden, un, um, kind of the unknown history of the Bible, quite eye-opening, if you will. But so history has been rewritten. The Bible has been the recent target of Satan's attack. You know, he used to kill the people who held the Bible sacred and lived its their life out of its pages. He killed the people. He burned them at the stake. He, you know, rose up various, you know, keepers of the lie, henchmen, his own henchmen in human form to kill the people who carried the Bible. And then he tried to kill the people who put the Bible into print so that people, masses of people could read it. And that didn't work. And it didn't work to kill the the Bible because there was just so many Bibles. And now, as the devil's unable to keep people from reading the Bible um, by keeping them Bibleless <laughs> with no Bible to read, he now brings a, 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 a mega uh, con- uh, uh, collection of Bibles, every kind of version, and every kind of paraphrase, and every kind of translation, and every kind of corrupt, you know, Bible that you can possibly think of, and stuffs it down our throat. You know, you can have twelve Bibles in your house, but again, if you don't read any one, and if you don't rightly divide it, it doesn't do you much good. So we go back to not only the Bible, but rightly dividing the Gospel of Jesus Christ and undering, understanding what that is. So. So the first thing we have to be okay with is giving up the lie, giving up the many unlearning, relearning, being deprogrammed. And this is the job of the Holy Spirit. How are you and I, the ones who have been programmed and and controlled by that program, how are we going to deprogram ourselves? There has to be something outside of us that would be, number one, the written word of God rightly divided. That would be a source of truth from which we can discern what is the truth. And the second thing God give, gave us to deprogram us is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit himself. That is his job to deprogram us. And so many of us, eager to um, walk in the truth because we're built by God to love the truth, try to find and figure out the truth ourselves. We try to, again, use the old corrupted software to try to figure out the truth. But that corrupted software, it's like using your your virus corrupted software to, to, to try to write uh, and, and present a program of truth or, or do your tasks, whatever, and expect to come up with a right answer when you've got wrong elements in the equation. It would be like trying to, your program says 2 plus 2 equals 12, and you're going to use that program to figure out how to balance your checkbook. Well, you've already got the elements wrong. 2 plus 2 is 4, not 12. And so no matter what you do, the printout's going to be wrong. No matter how carefully you input all the rest of the data, it's going to come out wrong. And so we have to understand that we must give up the lies. And because what's happening in the Word of God is people get part of it correct, and they have part of it wrong, and they try to put it all together, and it still doesn't make sense. God is so good, then why does he let all this bad stuff happen? Or, you know, I think that's one of the main, you know, walls that we run into with our bad theology is if God is so good. And this just irks Christians because we think he's supposed to be a righteous judge. Well, he is. And but God has a, a bigger plan, a bigger picture, and he's working all things together for good. But that's the test of our faith. Do we believe God? 
even when it looks like God is not there or when it looks like we're on our own or when it looks like, you know, there's no hope. Do we still believe God? In, or are we used to going back to going with what things look like? Well, this looks really bad. This doesn't look like it's going to work. This, you know, this never works and, and nothing ever goes right and everything I try goes wrong. These are lies. These are lies you have learned to, to accept and to live by. So giving up the lie. Um, yeah, we're not going to be content anymore to pretend that things are what they say they are or what, you know, we, we, uh, we think they should be. We are here to be servants. We're dead anyway. We're, we died with Christ on the cross. So now, you know, it's his problem. Our, my life is his problem. I'm his servant. It's up to him to supply to me what I need when I need it. And believe you me, for all of you preppers out there, there's no way you're going to get enough supplies for what we're going to need. We're going to need to walk in the supernatural, spiritual world of God. To pro- He's going to provide for us whatever he needs and wants to provide. And let it be that we will not die until God himself gives, gives the go-ahead. And that I'm not going to be killed by the devil. I'm going to be taken by the Lord when it's his time and in his perfect plan for my life. So Jesus said, and this is part another part of the mathematical understanding of spiritual warfare. Again, going back to what we already said, Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. So when you're adding up your columns and they come out to be, uh, you know, discontent, condemnation, accusation, hopelessness, um, bitterness, that is not the truth. You're walking and living and you've got some lies in your column, some errors in the column. Um, so what is the fruit of the things you believe? What is the fruit of that? That's what you are you and here's the other thing. Are we willing to eat rotten fruit and try to be okay with it? <laughs> A lot of people are like that. Oh, it, it it is what it is. That's being okay with rotten fruit. That's gotta go. It is not okay with not being okay. And we have to learn to be okay with being okay. You know, because a lot of people are used to being anxious. It's normal. It's We're familiar with anxiety. Something's wrong. Something's got to be wrong. And so we're just content with living in that place of there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with you. It's your fault. It's my fault. We're, we're never okay with just living and being okay. And, and the challenge is even when you live with that, in that place of peace, that the devil is constantly thinking of plenty of things to hit you with the next wave of uh, troubles, calamities, and trials, whatever. So to stand strong, it says in uh, Ephesians, having done all to stand, and to stand strong and stand confident in God in the midst of the wind blowing and the earth quaking and everything that can be shaken, being shaken, um, to know that he is God and to know that he keeps you. I was talking to someone not too long ago, and they were in a horrific car accident. And um, in in the midst of it, we, they were saying, you know, uh, the airbag had gone off, and they couldn't see where they were going, and they were pushed into oncoming traffic, trying to manipulate the car to get it to the side of the road with the airbag in their face and with this horrible, you know, stuff, the smell of that going up into their head and, and it, the, the shock of everything. And... And they were saying as, as they were driving the, the car or moving the car to the edge of the road and two lanes, I think it was, of oncoming traffic, that person said, I had such peace, such incredible peace. And the revelation of the truth was that Jesus was driving the car. Yeah, Jesus was driving the car. And um, they realized that because there was no way. They should not have been killed. And some of you have had experiences like that where there's no way you should be here today except for God who said to the devil, no, you can't take her life or his life. And so that's the the, the, the great good news of the peace of God. So in the new paradigm, we have to realize there are still two active kingdoms, two forms of captivity. There's still both God and the devil and in our world. Everything you think is important, everything that's on the surface, you know, give us this day our daily bread sort of thing. Those things are important. They're important to God. The hairs on your head, the birds that fall from the sky, everything is, God is aware of it all. And it's all important. But we have to understand that there's a bigger picture, and that is the the diabolical war um, that goes on between God and Satan for the souls of men. 
It's like God votes for you, the devil votes against you, and you break the tie by whose report you choose to believe. Uh, And that's what faith is all about, faith in the promises of God. That's the gospel. The gospel was given to Abraham, faith in the promise. And that was what was counted to him for righteousness, not keeping the law. No one who ever kept the law was accounted as righteous. Some of them were righteous because God said they're righteous, but because of their hearts. But but the faith in the promise, and their faith also in the Old Testament, their real faith was in the promise that God would send salvation. He would send a Savior, a Deliverer, a Messiah. And so that was really where they were getting their righteousness from. And because they believed in that promise, they were keeping the law of love, even before it was written as the law of love. It was first written as the Ten Commandments. But now the law has been rewritten in this, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. So the problem is if you don't like yourself, there's no way you're going to love God or your neighbor. And so the devil works at that first primary base of operation to get you to be mad at yourself, hate yourself, or be narcissistic, which is an even bigger trap and destruction that you don't even know that you're so in need of a Savior, God have mercy. Um, So the thing is, there are two forms of captivity. We're born into this world, and that, by the way, was not of our own choice. You did not get to choose the timing of your birth. And a lot of people feel very condemned um, because of the timing of their birth. They were born uh, conceived out of wedlock. Is that your choice? Was that your? Did you do that? That was a choice of other people. And God also made a choice to permit your birth at that point in time in those circumstances that didn't seem to be okay or appropriate to the the gossip columns of the world. You know, okay, you're born out of wedlock. You're this. It's your fault. And mom and dad had to get married, and now you're the bother, the burden. Da da da. You know what? Those are not your things. Those are circumstances that you had nothing. You made no choices in those. You had no choice. So, so therefore, do not allow the devil to condemn you or to lay things on you that you had no choice about, no way to um, fix or determine differently. So we're, we're born into this, this world, and this world is, is controlled at this time by the God of this world, which is Satan. And he, is, he had no power. He had no kingdom. Um, when he was kicked out of heaven, and so he stole ours. God had given the world, the garden, to Adam and Eve, and he'd given them a power and authority over it. And when Satan looked down and had no place to go, homeless as he was, he said, they're weak, they're vulnerable, I can do this. And he did. And God knew he would. And you say, well, why in the world would God, who is God of love and peace and justice and truth and mercy, let this thing go on, let this thing happen? As he did. Well, ultimately, it is because not we're not suffering just because of Adam and Eve's sin or our own sins or the sins of our generations. We're suffering because of Satan's sin, because things were not right after he rebelled against God. The whole universe was set in opposition, set ajar, a breach, a break, a a deadly cancerous disease had come into the universe and that was Satan and his rebellion and God had to deal with it. And I believe that God went ahead with creating Adam and Eve and maybe, I don't know. I mean, I haven't looked into this. Maybe Adam and Eve were already created before the devil rebelled, but I kind of don't think so, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that they were created in this world in a garden, and given protection, but also given the option. They had to be given an option as well to choose God, because God isn't going to force people to go to heaven. He's not going to force them to serve him. So they were given this option um, called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, they were curious because knowledge is a great you know, desire for knowledge to know more. That's the, that's the lead in. That's the bait and the hook for a lot of people going into the occult into witchcraft, the hidden knowledge. Occult means hidden or secret knowledge. And, and the Kabbalah and all that. So people are going into the secret knowledge because if I, have a, if I know the secret, then I have an advantage over you or over others. You know what? That's foolishness. Why do I need an advantage over you? Each one of us is, stands before God 
on our own. It's not a competition. It's not a race where I have to beat you somewhere where there's only so much love and we've got to vie to get it because the first one's in, get it, first come, first serve. That's not how God works. And so, but anyway, we're born into this world and it's controlled by Satan. So we're vulnerable to the elements of this world and how Satan has arranged societies and nations and kingdoms and isms and idealisms and all of these things that become the the, the torture racks and the vices and the, the elements of destruction he uses to destroy humankind. And secondly, we're born, the devil bring, has brought forth his kingdom inside of us. So we're captured and imprisoned by the evil systems of this world but the devil has also downloaded his evil controlling systems into us as programs. It's called the body of death. Um, Paul, Paul talks about that in uh, Romans 7, um, who will deliver me from this body of death. So we really must look at this. I mean, people who are naively uh, in their la-la land of spiritual Christianity, niceness, you know, whatever, have to look at this because Paul is very, very clear here in Romans 6, 7, and 8. You need to read that. If you don't get life yet, go read 6, 7, and 8 very slowly, very carefully. He says we're, number one, born into this world, and the issue of sin had to be dealt with, and God and, and the captiv- captivation or captivity that we were in um, was dealt with through death. And, you know, when we die, we are released from the systems of this world in a natural way, but also in the spiritual way, when we died with Christ on the cross, we were released from the demonic systems of this world. We're still in this world. We have our domicile here for now. But as Abraham said, my home is not here. My home is in heaven. Second of all, we're control- the ho- we're held hostage within ourselves because of the program that is um, the demonic body of death software that's living inside of us. And so this, the body of death that lives inside of us has been downloaded at the point of in the garden where Adam and Eve sinned, Satan then took control of his property and his property were Adam and Eve and everything that they owned. So he took their power, took their authority, became the God of this world. They became his servants. He now controlled them like you would control a uh, a drone or a, a robot or a, uh, a remote control car or something. He began to control them. And so a lot of what they were, um, you know, doing and so... Now you have the conflict in the spiritual warfare. Now you have the conflict, even after you're saved, as that, that salvation, death, born again. You can't be born again until you die. And so when we're dead, now we're delivered from the devil's kingdom. But the devil's kingdom still is influencing us through the environment, through the atmosphere, through the advertisements, through the media, through the, 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 the issues of life, the crazy, insane pressures, the witchcraft, the accusations the legal systems, whatever, it's all still pressing on us. So it's like this, um, you know, we're now seated with Christ in heavenly places, but we're also seated in the rush hour traffic or the dentist's office, and they're not the same thing, but we can carry the peace of God into the rush hour traffic and into the dentist's office. That's that's the, the peace that passes understanding that goes over and beyond um, our circumstances. But nonetheless, we are can be naturally seated in that natural place, earthly place of the dentist's office, and also seated with Christ in heavenly places. So the point is to remember who you are and your, where you are and what you are and, and, and not to be overcome by the circumstances of this world. So we go on to understand that there's, so there are two kingdoms, and in this new paradigm, um, that there's also other little factors we need to understand that we are made up of, are we as a being um, are made up of body, soul, and spirit. And that makes it possible, you know, to for the enemy to actually begin to divide the house. The body, our body is fearfully and wonderfully made, yet Paul said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. So my body is fearfully and wonderfully made, my body is flesh, but my body is not... My flesh is not alive unless my body is connected with my soul. So the flesh is defined, get your definitions for math, flesh equals body plus soul. So when one of those two, the body or the soul, is removed, the flesh is dead. Okay, the, the natural man is dead. And so 
the flesh is the hardware the body offers and provides the brain, uh, the amygdala, the limbic systems, the, the organs and tissues, operations, functions, equations, um, processes uh, that continue to sustain life, including the blood. All these things are offered by the body. But the soul sits kind of as the, in the captain's chair. He's kind of like the driver. And the soul is made up of three parts as well, the mind, will, and emotions. And so we have a mind, and with our mind we think. We say, I think. But by very virtue of saying, I think, you're saying, I'm not sure. I'm thinking. I think it's okay. So there's doubt in that that uh, mind. There's, you know, not certain, uh, unclear, disclarity. Um, and in your in your heart, which is your seat of your, your emotions, your feelings, you're going to say, I feel. And how many of us run our lives on our feelings, on our emotions? And oh my goodness, do we ever go all over the road? We're creaming, crashing, going on this side, that side, right, left, up, down. Our feelings are very unstable because they're so based on brain chemistries and blood pressures and uh, blood sugar levels and all kinds of very variable um, and unstable situations, and depending on what kind of food you even eat. I mean, so your emotion, if you base your love for anyone on your emotions, you will not, that love, that relationship will not be sustained. If that's all you're going to use as your feelings, forget it. You, you've already lost it. We don't base our, our relationships on our feelings. I mean, the world tells you to do that. Valentine's Day will tell you to do that. Oh, I don't feel any love for you anymore. Oh, I feel this love and excitement over here instead now. It's with this guy. Well, let me tell you something. You know, that's probably a demon spirit who's messing with manipulating your emotions to go over there to be seduced, drawn in, pulled into a gullible enough to do it because you're living your life on your emotions and not on the true word of God. But anyway, so we have the body and the soul, the mind, will, and the emotions. Your mind, you're in doubt. And your your heart, your feelings are fickle and afraid. Then you don't even agree with yourself most of the time when you use your soul software to make a decision because you're gonna you're gonna um, y- your mind is gonna say, well, I I think I should do it, and your heart is gonna say, well, I don't feel like it, and your will is gonna say, I don't know, I'm confused. How many of us live our life in a constant state of I don't know, I don't know? A lot of us use it as an excuse. You know, because I don't want to make a decision because I might make the wrong decision and I'll be responsible for making a wrong decision and I will fail. So if I don't make a decision, then I'll let my wife or husband make it. And then when they make the mistake, then they can be blamed and I will be free. That is such immature thinking, people. If you're doing that to your spouse, stop it. If you need to take leadership and take initiative and do what you're supposed to do, be responsible to the Lord God, to the promise he's made you and walk in the spirit. By the way, what does that mean, walking in the Spirit? The Spirit means you're listening to God's Spirit as His Holy Spirit lives in you and directs you. It says in Second, 1 Corinthians 2, 9-11, through 11, For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? But God has revealed those things to us by His Spirit that we might know. God is not interested in what you think or feel so much as what He wants you to know that you can know. When you know that you know what you know, then you can say no to the devil and you can actually begin to do spiritual warfare with authority. Otherwise, you have no authority. You're just wishy-washy and standing. uh, You can be standing with the best armor, the best equipment, the best sword, the best helmet. But if you're on a slippery rock, you know, and you have no footing, you know, or your shoes are, are... are slippery, you're, you're going to fall up. You cannot defend or take authority over yourself or, or have a strong stand. You need to know that you know what you know before you can say no to the devil. Um, so that's, that's kind of a part of what we need to understand is that there are two sets of software. There's the body or the, the body of death software, which obviously brings forth death. As Paul said in Romans 7, after he said in Romans 6, I'm saved, then in Romans 7 he says, who will deliver me? Deliver me. Get that, people? Paul, St. Paul, Apostle Paul, writer of the epistles, needs deliverance, admitting, who will deliver me? So if he humbles himself to cry out, who will deliver me from this miserable body of death, then surely that would be an appropriate cry for all of us. God, have mercy. Have mercy on me. Deliver me. Um, Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Who will deliver me from this body of death? But once you're saved... 
Paul then Paul answers his own question. That's a that's a huge question. Miserable man that I am. He asks the question and then he he answers his own question without even putting a question mark at the end of that that sentence. He says, "I thank God through Jesus Christ. There is now therefore now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit." Remember, I said that when God made us, He made us body, soul, and spirit. But the spirit, as Proverbs twenty twenty seven says, the spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inner rooms of the heart. So Ephesians 2 says, when we were yet dead in sins and trespasses, he quickened us. So what does that mean? What was, how was I dead? I'm a dead and alive at the same time. I'm a walking dead man, if you will. Because when we're saved, our spirit man, the candle of the Lord gets lit, quickened, it says in Ephesians. When we were yet dead in sins and trespasses, he quickened us. That's another word for lighting a candle. And so now our spirit is awake and and ready to receive information. So now the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, wants to download to our spirit the information we need to have, the wisdom, the truth, to know that we can know what we know. He, his spirit, it says, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There is no other way you can know that except that he, his spirit bears witness and you know it. Now you have to accept that you can know things. A lot of people are still hung up in this I don't know thing and don't believe that there's anything that they can know for sure, you know, except death and taxes, which is, you know, ridiculous. If that's all the only the only two absolutes and knowns I have in my life, um, I'm not going to be able to have enough information to complete and its processes. So I have to I have to understand the body of death and the spirit of death. So now after we're saved, that spirit software can gives me a second option. I can walk in that spirit and walk in God's favor, love, and power. He says to walk in the spirit and we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh is still that place of confusion and lies and condemnation, thinking and feeling and hope not knowing for sure and hoping and whatnot. So God wants us to know that we can know what we know. Now, let's get back to, um, let's take a quick break here and then we'll get back to what we're going to talk about uh, um what that means in terms of our skeletons in our closet. Life Recovery offers a wide variety of books, teaching manuals, CDs, and DVDs, all designed to expose Satan's lies and equip believers with the powerful weapons of spiritual warfare. Amen. SpiritualWarfareLifeRecovery.com. We've got a lot of stuff out there. Um, CDs, DVDs, books, manuals, all for your instruction, not for self-improvement, all weapons of war. It's your artillery. So every baby born into the world is born with baggage. And part of that baggage is the sin legacy, the unfinished business of our fathers, the things that have left open doors, the, the unconfessed sins, bitter root judgments, unforgiveness. Those things have actually been marked, carried down, on our DNA, even it's a spiritual legacy. It's not just a, a genetic legacy, a natural legacy that carries down the codes for your eye color and your and your hair color and your uh, stature. These this spiritual content is also on. The, we have a, the the DNA carries a spiritual legacy as well, because how else would the sins of the fathers be passed on to the children? Well, there's two ways. There's two ways everything is passed on. One is through the genetics, and the other is through the environment. And so when your parents have already learned the lies and you're born into a snake pit where you're going to be retaught the lies, you know, um, personally, you know, through your own experiences, through the things that have happened through how your parents respond to you, they're actually, unless they have been set free from those lies, are going to be re-indoctrinating you with the very things that they were taught to do. And some of the things you may say, I'm not going to ever do that with my children because that was terrible and blah, blah, blah. And yes, in some ways we have maybe improved to be a little more sensitive, but we're more than likely going to overreact and the pendulum is going to swing in the opposite direction. And we're going to give our kids now everything we didn't have. Um, we're going to live our lost life through them and we're going to try to control them. They're going to become the center of our life instead of the, uh, you know, in the the generations before us, we were like a, a baggage burdens, whatever. But now we, you know, the children in our world become our center, our life, and and you know, we're that's not fair. They have a life to live. 
God has given you to them and them to you for a time of instruction and protection and in, in, uh, influence that you're to lead them, train them up in the ways of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. And so, but these kids come into the world, there's a lot of, uh, we'll call it a sin legacy or a spiritual legacy. And a lot of these patterns, there's, which, and out of these, uh, this legacy and unfinished business and DNA and learning environments comes patterns of demonic judgment, patterns of transference, and they come through a thing called blood guilt. It says the sins of the fathers are visited onto the children to the first, to the four, third and fourth generation. Now you have to understand that the word visited is in, in an interesting Bible word. You know we have all had visitors, and there are some rules with visitors. Visitors must be invited in, and they must be invited to stay in order to stay. Visitors can be asked um, because they have no legal right other than the right that you have given them to abide there indefinitely, unless, of course, they um, wiggle their way in and make it very difficult. You still have the right, even though they're manipulating you to stay or making you feel guilty for sending them away. They... The place is not theirs, it is yours. And that's what God wants us to understand, that after we're saved, these visitors must be escorted to the door and kicked out. That's why he says cast out. That's why he cast out demons. Demons are visitors that come in on, on the um, uh, through the permissions that they've received, the agreements that were made by the generations past, and then, of course, getting you to open the door to your life and inviting them in or passively uh, agreeing that they can be there or with an implied consent or an unconscious agreement, they come in as if they own the place and they begin to act uh, and control you and manipulate you, steal from you. Uh, It's scary. But anyway, we say, well, yeah, but wait a minute. It's under the blood. It's all under the blood. For the believers in Jesus, it's finished. It's, you know, yeah. That's exactly right. It is under the blood. That's why what the devil continues to do is illegal. And you can live saved and filled with demons at the same time. You can try to live your life that way. It's going to be very difficult, uh, very unproductive, very distracting, very confusing to not only you but others. Or you can live with the house clean and, and under the control of the Holy Spirit, consistently under his control. Of course, the devil can try to tempt us eventually, even if you're a clean vessel. He can still knock on the door and present you with a with seduction or a solution to the problem he set up and hope that you'll take it so he can tempt you to bite the hook and die. But, you know, God does not intend for his believers to live with, in a rat-infested house. Demons are like rats. You know, Christian can't have a demon. Well, can a Christian have a rat in their house? Are you a rat? Does having a rat in your house make you a rat? No. Do you want to live with rats? Or, or, or do you want to get them out? And by the way, rats eat garbage. So the more garbage you got laying around in your life, the more, the more uh, you're unwilling to deal with, cast out, get rid of, throw out, take out the garbage, the more happy the rats are going to be because they're going to have plenty to work with. And so it's it, this, all this um, unfinished business, bitterness, um, unconfessed sins, secrets, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of times, speaking of secrets and secret sin, um, this is just a little bit off the, off the subject, but if you're living in secret sin and you, you're feeling it's a heavy burden of guilt, of course, you, and you're trapped because you don't know where to go to get rid of it because anybody you tell, they're just going to pounce on you and judge you and make your life miserable and shame you and, you know, gossip about you. So it's not really safe to confess those sins to just anybody, but you can begin by confessing them to God and asking the Lord God, because he already knows about it anyway. So he's already able and loves you and is able to look at this objectively and knows what happened, how the devil set you up in the first place. So do not allow the burden of your sin for you who are believers, don't allow that burden to be used by the devil to kill you. Go and confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and then forgive yourself for getting tricked into believing the lie, for believing, that's what you did, you believed the lie. All sin is basically the same thing. You believed the lie, you got tricked by the lie, you bought into the devil's 
bag of garbage solutions and took them and now you're trying to deal with it. So yes, it's under the blood, it's finished, but the, the and so what the devil is doing in your life is illegal. That's why Jesus cast the demons out of the people. They didn't belong there. But because the demons are disembodied spirits, they're looking for a home, they're more than happy to get their needs met through you. You know, if they like smoking cigarettes, they're going to find somebody who will smoke cigarettes for them, etc. And you're trying to quit? Well, you need to get rid of the demon. And you say, well, that's too spiritual, or that's hokey, or that's weird. Well, you've been trying it other ways. Has it worked? Probably not. You know, when it if it did work, I'll tell you why it worked. It worked because you had a revelation. God gave you a revelation of truth. Maybe the revelation was simply, hey, I don't want to smoke. I don't, it's not me. I don't need to. This is not what I want to do with my life. And so you've come into an agreement with the truth. And when you come into an agreement with the truth that knocks the lie in the head and kills it dead, then you can be free. But that always comes from a revelation of truth. Whether or not you put the label Jesus Christ on it, it's going to come from him because it is the truth. There's no other way we get free except through the truth. And so the devil is illegal, but most of us are, are willing to let the visitors stay. We don't. We permit them. Um, first of all, we may not even see them as invasive or an intrusion. Um, they appear to be because of the witchcraft. They look like your friends. They look like help. They look like comfort. They look like strength. The protector demons come in and make you strong when you're terrified. Um, also, we're ignorant of the strength and the authority in the new life we have in Christ, the power and authority that we have there. So the demon comes in as a protector, come in as familiar spirits. We're used to, our family is used to being less than shamed, sexually abused. Um, we're used to being oppressed. We're used to being p- broke and poor. Whatever you're used to that isn't God becomes familiar to you, and you just accept it because it's familiar. You never take a look at it and say, wait a minute. Who says I have to constantly live in poverty? Or who says I have to constantly, you know, be messing with this depression? Why why are my genes so uh, coded to be depressed? What's the lie that's causing this depression? Everything goes back to the lie carried on the on the genetic codes which were put there because of marks. Um we may get to that today and we may not. We may have to take this up again soon. But anyway, we're too in- intimidated to ask them to leave because we think we need them. But you're too, it's too scary to give up our meds or our drugs or our alcohol because we've come to use that. That is how we manipulate our feelings or that's how we feel better or feel okay. Um, and finally, we don't even see them as separate from us. So we've made an agreement um, in this dependency upon them. We made an agreement that they can stay. We formed a bond with them. Uh, we're dependent on them. We think we need their help. Um, and these are coming from subconscious agreements a lot of times that allow those liars to remain. Um, they influence our lives through their control, and they also manipulate us through uh, vulnerabilities and through pressure to to not make any changes, to, to stick with the old paradigm. Um, why? Well, because the devil is not done yet. He is not convinced that he is officially defeated. He believes he can still... Uh, even though we're saved, even though God's come, Jesus died on the cross, it's been done and finished, Satan is still believing in the ignorance of mankind. He is still convinced that he can keep the, you know, keep, keep working because we are ignorant, unaware, and the gospel, the light of the gospel has not yet come to us. So he, can, he still believes he can win the election, and he's cheating. He still believes he can defeat, defeat the God of heaven and destroy him by breaking his heart. God's heart over us. See, God, he wants to crush us, crush us and, and, and make God watch. He wants to cause God to suffer. So these visiting rites, these, these ancient agreements that have been made, that have opened ancient generational doors, that have allowed the invitation to stand, um, to give to, to each successive generation, these visitors just knock on the door, come right in. Our acceptance of the lie, and in when we're child, children and in the womb and young, we do not understand any of this. So really, this process of deprogramming and uh, doesn't even begin until you get saved. God in, comes to us, brings that salvation. Um, we accept it by the grace of God, and because we're made in the image of God, to resonate with and and uh, relate to uh, and recognize 
the truth as true, that's why we're saved, because we're made in the image of God. Not because God forced his salvation on us because we were depraved and he had to do all the work, but because he originally made us in his image so that we would recognize the truth when it came knocking on our door. And so we we open our hearts up. And at that point, when we accept Jesus, um, we are now eligible to be delivered. And that is God's solution to the second problem is deliverance. Um, then we begin to look at the lies and the permissions and the situations um, that we have given permission that allow the visitors to remain. Because what God knows, David knew his sin in Psalm uh, 51, verse 5 and 6, uh, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. He knew that there was a, uh, a set of um, agreements that were operating, demonic agreements that had been already in operation. Iniquity, if you will, sins of iniquity. Iniquity is just a long line of sin that's been, you know, it's just a trail of sin, uh, unconfessed, unforgiven, not dealt with, that opens the door to the next generation. Um and he also says there that he tells us that God desires truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. He will make us to know wisdom. That's Psalm 51, verse 5 and 6. So this is the process of sanctification. Salvation and sanctification are not the same. Salvation is being born again, coming to life, being birthed. But sanctification is the process that follows. It's the, it's the life that you live as a result of being alive. It's uh, sanctification is the process of inner healing, deliverance, and bringing us to freedom and revelation. So bottom line, it is finished. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, that actually is interpreted to mean, translated to mean, paid in full. So what he was saying there was the debt obligations of his people, the, the children of God, the the whole human the whole human race if they will whosoever will uh, call upon the name of the Lord will be saved and come into that place of paid in full so the uh, the debt obligation that Satan is char if you're a saved person and you are the devil is charging you again and again for what Jesus has paid for it is time to take the devil to court and say you know what that's been paid for in full I don't have to listen to you and then of course you're going to ask the Lord to deliver you so that the demonic control programs, operating systems, software of the devil that's been controlling you and manipulating you and getting you in trouble will be removed, deleted by the blood of the Lamb, and uh, you're set free. You know, it is finished. The debt is paid in full. We are not under obligation to Satan anymore. And once you know that, you don't have to live a double life. You don't have to try to make God happy because you will know God is happy with you, and it's not because of anything you can do. Uh, it's not because of good deeds. As a matter of fact, even in Jeremiah, when God is talking to him about the, he says, "What happened?" He says, "I I planted you a seed of highest quality, genuine, and you have degenerated into this alien vine." He was talking about the idolatry and the adultery of the people of Israel as they were, you know, previous to Jeremiah. That it now cause them to have to be taken into captivity. God says, what happened? He says, though, he says, you promised you wouldn't do it. He says, but though you make the promises and though you wash yourselves with lye and much water, you cannot wash these marks off of your, off of you. You cannot mark, wash these marks, the marks of iniquity, the, the marks of, of iniquity that are on our DNA, the blood guiltiness cannot be washed off with good works. It had to be washed off with the blood of Jesus because the devil's law of reciprocity is eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, blood for blood. And so it is only through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the shedding of his blood, that the bloodlines can be cleansed and the blood guilt can be satisfied because a life has been given for a life taken. And that is the whole bo- the, the backstory of, of blood guilt is um, the devil's law is his form of justice. And when you sin or when your people have sinned in your bloodline, the devil says, I have a right to call for their blood. I have a right to call for this high blood pressure, this heart attack, this burst aorta, this aneurysm. A lot of things that are in your life that are related to blood are because of blood guilt, because because the devil is asking for an attack upon your heart or your blood system. So with that, I am going to leave you today. But I want to give you two more quick 
commercial announcements next week. That would be February um, 9th, I believe. For those of you who are looking uh, at catching us on Tuesday, we have live guest. He's not dead. He's alive. No, I'm alive too, but anyway. Um, Doug Douglas Woodward, who has just written a new book called The Next Great War in the Middle East. Phenomenal researcher, uh, author, historian. Um, he takes a lot of our, our latest um, uh, eschatology, you know, how this is going to happen and when the Antichrist is going to appear and the order of events and blah, blah, blah. A lot of the stuff that we kind of just, you know, now have has become normalized and we think, well, this is what everybody's saying is it's a pre-trib, post-trib. Now we got a, a pre-wrath, tribula- uh, a pre-tribulation, pre-wrath, rapture, all of these kinds of things that people kind of are trying to figure out. He kind of takes a little bit of a different look at it because he bases it on a lot of scripture and a lot of study of the scripture. We're going to be looking and talking with him next week for an hour. And so I just invite you to join us at Rescue Radio for uh, next week with Douglas Woodward, the next Great War in the Middle East. That's his new book. You can actually go find it if you want to. The Next Great War in the Middle East by author S. Douglas Woodward. You can pick it up and read it. Um, His website is Faith Happens. Um, So I think that'll do it for today. And uh, God bless you. Be victorious. And remember, it has been finished, paid in full. You don't owe the devil anything. Because there's a war for your soul.